Imperial battleship, halt the flow of time. I cannot swim, you Spanish peacock. I'm not Spanish, I'm Egyptian. You five-star, double-rated astronavigatrix. Uh, 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 what? Space, herpy. Give me the remote control. Good heavens, General, that sounds like a woman. Impossible! Welcome, listener, to Star Crashed. We discuss genre movies released before the year 2000. Tonight, the theme is Mars in March. And in this episode, we're going to discuss... A trip to Mars slash Himmelskibet slash Skyship, depending on which source you're going by. My name is Ebba. And my name is Linnea. So, before we get into spoiler territory, would you recommend this movie? Uh, yes, yes, I would. Um, so, uh, this is just a short introduction of the film. This is one of the earliest uh, Danish science fiction films uh, released in 1918. And... <laughs> For being such an early sci-fi film uh, and a silent film, I think this is actually a very beautifully shot film and um, uh, definitely worth a look if you're interested. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I think, it, I mean, it's available on YouTube and it's a piece of art that is uh, 101 years by now. And I think it's kind of cool to just check it out. Um, if you're not a fan, you can always move on but you've at least seen a little bit of of uh, movie history so i think that's the way i would recommend watching it, this yeah one. if uh, if any of you out there own uh the uh, 101 sci-fi film so you need to watch before you die this little book by steven schneider i think his name is uh, this film is included in that book so if you're oh. you're gonna check off all the films in that book uh, this is one you you'll want to check out. Hmm. Nice little prompt for people out there <laughs> <laughs> having that book, <laughs> including myself, just sitting in the bookshelf. So that's good. Yeah. So, what is it about then? A trip to Mars is kind of like ex- explains a bit of the puzzle to what it is. But why don't you fill us in a bit more? Yes. Uh, okay. So uh, in the beginning of the film, we are introduced to our main characters. We have uh, Professor Planetarius. His uh, son, I believe he was called Avanti yes. Planetarius, if I'm... Yeah. Uh, his daughter, Corona Planetarius. <laughs> which, these, these names are quite, you know... On the, the nose. not strong with them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we also have Dr. Kraft. Uh, Kraft, uh, in, if you translate that into English, it means power. So that is also... A bit on the nose. Uh, Dr. Kraft is friends with Avanti and he also has a, a little bit of a romance going on with Corona. Uh, and we also introduced to <laughs> Professor Dubious <laughs> and uh, as the name suggests he is... I wouldn't say he's he's the bad guy of the film, the villain, because he's not really evil but he's definitely an, an antagonist yes. uh, or an, an antagonistic force anyway because he's Professor Planetarius uh, rival in the uh, scientific community. Yeah, he's like the skeptic. Um, yeah, to... yeah, essentially. Yeah. But he's also, I think, he's also very jealous of 
Professor Planetarius. Oh, you know, for sure. He, 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 he claims to not really believe in, in the work that Planetarius does, but he also kind of wants to make do that work himself. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, He's not he's not a very nuanced character. He's a bit of a Disney villain to be honest, but he's he's in there. And in the beginning we see Avanti return from I think uh, the war maybe or I just I think I it's know. just like an adventure, like one of those polar, maybe, polar maybe. Yeah, adventure but things back in those days. He he returns home after having been gone for quite a while. Mm. Um and his father tells him about uh, the research he's been doing on, on Mars and how he, you know, maybe in the future we could travel to Mars and things like that. Uh, and then we see Avanti uh, flying with airplanes and he, he says that I have now flown higher than anyone before me. Uh, and he, you, you, can, you I, I think it's nice, nice that you get his, a little bit of a personal journey there for him that, you know, now I have done this what's next for me? I want a new challenge. Mm. And that is, of course, going to Mars. And he tells his father that, you know, I want to go forward with, the, with this project and travel to Mars. Uh, and then we have a jump in time for mm. in, in two years later, where we see that now they have finished the ship. And I thought that was also nice that we get to see that this project actually takes some time. You know, it's not just done overnight. Yeah, and also just uh, like to... Um, comment on that that it's also not just like he's coming to the professor and being like oh I want to I want the next big adventure and then the professor says aha but look here in my basement I happen to have uh, Uh (laughs) the vehicle Uh for you to go to Mars in and then he jumps (laughs) so it's like things take time and that's nice yes see yes definitely And he puts together a team of people he wants to bring with him. Uh, among other people, he brings his friend, Dr. Croft, um, and also another guy named uh, David Dane. Though I'm not entirely sure if he is American or if they just said that he had has just come home from America. But he's um, a special character. Uh, he has a little bit of a trouble with drinking and he's maybe a bit impulsive, but I thought he was... He was interesting. Um, and a few other characters as well that he, um, Avanti, brings with him to Mars. Uh, and then they go. And uh, they go out in space and uh, set out for Mars. Uh, and this also takes quite a while. Uh, they say in the film it takes about six months, mm-hmm. which is a reasonable uh, timetable um, with modern ships modern rockets that we have today uh, a journey to mars would take some somewhat between 6 to to 12 months i would say so um not not an unreasonable amount there could i uh, could i just ask a question i don't know if if you know this but like at what speed would a modern uh, spaceship <laughs> require to go that journey it's, i believe yeah oh, i don't remember an exact number but i believe it's slightly faster than what's mentioned in the oh, film okay. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think in the film they say that they travel 12,000... Is it kilometer, kilometers per hour? I think it's maybe? kilometers, because I remember it being 12,000, mm-hmm. so I think... I yeah, yeah, and I would guess, you know, an educated guess is that modern rockets travel like 20 to 30,000 kilometers per hour. Okay. I, I haven't actually looked this up, but that is what I, I would guess that they are travel so, so not a faster. bad job for for the time and no I definitely mean I'm not. I'm not I'm a 
I'm just assuming that there wasn't any like real scientists being part of the making of this movie either. So they're just <laughs> going on what the newspapers and like things, you know, definitely, common whatever knowledge then, with yeah. quotation marks there. But yeah, so that's that's cool. I think. Yeah, I I actually think I mean <laughs> we will get to Mars eventually, and yeah. their science kind of well, scientific accuracy kind of goes out the window yeah. but up until that point i actually think they, they they did pretty good job and they also they have like this um map where they show that you know this is how earth moves and this is how mars moves and we need to start our journey here to make sure that we are here when mars is on this position and, and things like that mm. you know they actually put some thought behind that and I appreciated that it was actually pretty good work <laughs> especially since I have recently been reading some golden age comic books including some of the early uh, adventures with uh, the flash from DC comics uh, and those are so not scientifically accurate <laughs> they are <laughs> crazy wrong in in you know just the mumbo jumbo that they talk about so uh i was pleasantly surprised at this film let's just say that uh, <laughs> but uh our, our team in uh, a trip to mars they they travel through space and at the end of the journey they are sort of becoming a bit tired of space and and uh it it, it has taken a toll on their psyches i think you know the, the deep blackness outside their windows um and they uh, some of the people on the ship actually start planning a mutiny mm -hmm. but luckily the that never happens because the people on mars because apparently there is people on mars uh, have seen them approach and uh, sort of pull them in with uh, like a tractor beam thing mm -hmm. um and uh, we see our our team of people um land in this utopian mars society um and um after that, I think it's a very traditional first contact story. Um, the Mars people are very, you know, hippie, pacifist, vegetarian, utopian people. Um, kind of, it's a picture I think you've seen many times uh, by now in science fiction um, of this superior people to us on earth and they, they they sort of look condescendingly on oh you eat meat and oh you use guns and that kind of thing but i think it's done fairly well in the film actually and um there is one martian who is accidentally killed when a little bit of a conflict breaks out between the uh, Earthmen and the Martians. Can I just nitpick um, there? He yeah. wasn't like accidentally killed. If you <laughs> if you throw a grenade into a bunch of people, then you know there's no accident true, there. True, true. No, that's true. Uh, that that yeah. The good. He was deliberately killed <laughs> by one of the humans. <laughs> Do go on. <laughs> I don't actually remember what what happens next in the film. Well, they're being uh, put to court almost because mm. they've uh, committed a sin and a crime that hasn't been done on Mars for like, I don't know, a very, very long time. Thousands so, of years? Yeah, so they're they're put to judgment, I think it's called. And then mm. uh, Maria or Maria or however you want to pronounce her name, it's basically the, the Martian leader's um, daughter. 
uh, and she um, asks her father to forgive them because the humans I don't know if it's like because they don't know better or it's something like that and and uh, they're granted forgiveness uh, yeah and the Martian who was not so accidentally killed he's resurrected somehow because magic yeah. I guess <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was accidentally um. brought back to life. <laughs> but he was deliberately killed. That's all I know. Uh, and there's also a romance that developed between uh, Maria and Avanti on Mars. And uh, eventually they decide to go back home to Earth. Because among other things, Dr. Croft wants to go back to Corona, who is his uh, girlfriend. Uh, and Maria decides to go uh, with them. And it's sort of implied at the end that her influence will make Earth also beco- become a utopian society. Yeah. Du- Dubious does meet his end. Uh, yes. Also. <laughs> <laughs> in quite a, like I said, in quite a Disney villain kind of oh, way. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, he, Professor Dubious, he... Um, he he hears about uh, the ship Excelsior is approaching Earth, and he runs up on this big, like high hill to watch it, and then he is hit by lightning and dies, <laughs> and he falls horribly to his death. <laughs> yes, <laughs> getting smashed against the rocks. It's uh... <laughs> it's quite brutal. <laughs> So what do you think is like the most important theme of this movie? Because it's quite, it's a quite heavy handed movie, I think. Mm-hmm. So what's your take on that? Well, I think it's like, like we sort of talked about in the summary. It is a, in its, at its core, it's a utopian film, a utopian science fiction story. Uh, and those are honestly not that common, at least not anymore mm. in in science fiction. So I think it, that that positive outlook on first of all the future of humanity and also on the concept of first contact, um, I think it's almost refreshing uh, with mm-hmm. looking at it today because. So many stories we have, especially in film, but also in, in, in literature, deals with how human human just screw everything up. Basically, you know, we screw Earth up, we screw up our civilization, we screw up first contact and everything. And it's nice to see what, su- such a positive view on that, I think. Yeah, because there's a bit of that, like you have the... Uh, um... Was, no, no Dave, Dave. David Dane, David who has Davis. a drinking problem on the spaceship, and uh, there's sort of like the mutiny going on, and when, then when they're introduced to the Martians, then, then the humans sort of like the first thing they do is like the Martians are very politely asking, "Oh, how do you procure this uh, dead meat that uh, you have brought us from your spaceship?" <laughs> and uh, Avant, I believe it's Avanti, he sort of like mm. just. Uh, takes out his gun and starts shooting the wildlife in the sky and they're like what are you doing <laughs> and then and then one of the brainiacs in the human group is like oh my god the people are storming us let's throw this grenade on- onto them and it's just 
you know, that along with the scene where the Martians perform a chastity dance, the mm. the, the Martian women, right. and then it, it uh, I don't know who of the humans. Well, anyways, they think of the um, the way that, that humans dance back on Earth, and it's sort of implied that it's more in a sinful way and not not um, with the best mm-hmm. uh, intentions, maybe, and gambling and things like that going on along with the dancing. So there is a dis- sort of dystopian outlook on humans, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this is also yeah. 1918, and... Uh, we all know what that means, and that means that it's the uh, the World War, uh, the First World War is near its end. So mm-hmm. I mean, those were kind of dystopian times to be alive, I guess. Definitely, definitely. Um, but it's also, like you say, it's a very utopian uto- utopian movie, anyways, because you have these Martians that are very very developed, and they were like us, which is also mm-hmm. sort of. You know, they all thought that uh, evolution and um, development is sort of like a straight line where you can go from cave person to really intelligent Mm -hmm. person, which is not the way things are really. But, you know, um, it's Mm. sort of in that line. But but the humans do change because of the, the influence of the Martians. And that is and that is a very positive message, like with knowledge and influence and great examples, you can change and you can do better. And that yeah, is nice. That's, yeah, sorry. To, that, to yeah, and I think <laughs> I think that's very interesting because a lot of sort of like what I talked about before, a lot of our modern science fiction tales has to do with how we hum- humans change others. You know, our influence on well, not Martians particularly, but mm. but aliens or or foreign civilizations, that kind of thing. But here we actually have like their impact on us, um, and I mean we do have those tales today as well. But I think in this film it it, it is very much a positive um, outlook on that. And now I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself, but oh, I really I... want to point this out that you know it was it was really nice to see. Um, I think maybe the uh, writer or the director is maybe a little bit naive in how such a meeting would happen. I think um, it wouldn't be maybe quite as peaceful as this, but it's still nice to see, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I also think, because I, uh, when I was doing, well, the the tiny bit of research that that's available about this uh, movie but someone sort of wrote that oh this is the first space opera basically and mm. when you compare it to the space operas of like the massive space operas because this movie was massive back in the days like with the budget and everything it seems to have been like a huge movie in a way mm-hmm. but uh I, just like when you were talking now i was thinking about avatar which could be a a ah. nice comparison because this movie uh, i don't know how many like long science fiction movies were available at this time in 1918 this must be one of the very earliest long like yes. 80 minute yes. science fiction movies and is you have this mm. huge cast and you have two different types of civilizations and outlooks on life and one of them is more prone to violence and the other one is more peaceful and maybe in tune with uh, peaceful, um, what do you say? 
themes, whatever. You you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and Avatar is kind of like the OOS uh, version of that. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, 3D and three hours and like doing that sort of mm-hmm. the next leap mm-hmm. in the movies sort of. And mm. you have the same theme, like humans going to a different planet and uh, acting violently and not listening in the beginning to what the aliens or were the aliens in that case, but what the aliens have to mm. say and mm. their mm. outlook on life, and, but then changing mm. because of experience and influence. Uh, so, mm. Yeah, that, that's a very good comparison. And it doesn't even have to be aliens. I mean, I think the theme... If you sort of take away the surface of it, the theme is quite timeless. Oh, of, for sure. You know, yeah. Two two cultures meeting each other and how that happened and sort of the consequences of it. And uh, um, I mean, just looking at history, we know that it doesn't always end very well. So uh, uh, it's uh, nice to see in this film that it it can end well and and uh, be inspired by that. Yeah, absolutely. Part of what makes it maybe feel not so fresh, <laughs> this movie, is just because <laughs> the themes and the the sort of tale of two uh, groups of people meeting each other isn't very new. <laughs> no, no. But uh, I think that doesn't make it less enjoyable, but it does make it a bit predictable. Although I have mm-hmm. to say, I was, I was sort of prepared for things to go a, like way worse than they were, like... When mm-hmm. he first drew his gun, I was like, oh, it's 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 going to be dark from here on now. <laughs> like, silent movie dark, though, but uh, but still dark. <laughs> but no, they uh, they talked it, uh, talked it out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely nice. And I, I also just, I think it's kind of nice to have, like, a... Well, there's at least, like, two strong-ish female characters. I think Mar- Maria has mm-hmm. like a very important role and is very, mm-hmm. like, she has her own agency to why she wants to do things. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. Um, I mean, she's, yeah. the, she's the most important person to come back from the spacecraft, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. And she's the one who's, who will lead the change. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. with her foreboding <laughs> name of Maria, of course. <laughs> <laughs> also not very subtle but yeah <laughs> no not at all <laughs> so um yeah i um i think i just want to go back a little bit in the discussion uh where uh you mentioned that it has been described as the very first space opera mm-hmm. um i'm not really gonna argue against that uh I, it, you can maybe call uh, a Trip to the Moon by George Melies from 1902. That could arguably also be a space opera. Mm. Uh, but that one is a bit too short to really go into like the the, the uh, culture of the moon people and things like that. So, Because I've always interpreted space opera as being, you know, because it's like opera. So it has to be like operatic and sort of like mm. a bit more, a, a bit bigger in scope and yes so that's always been my interpretation so i don't think trip to the moon sort of falls into that in my opinion but i but i see where you could argue why it is so yeah i would maybe call trip to the moon like a proto space opera like it has it has a lot of similarities with the the stories that would later become space opera Mm. but 
in itself it's it's a, it's a bit too too short to really delve into maybe the most important things of space opera um so you know i'm 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 not arguing against calling this film the very first mm. space opera i'm not arguing against that i'm just saying that it's it, stylistically it's not necessarily the first of its kind yeah. um and um I also know that some people call it the very first Danish science fiction film, which I'm also not really going to argue against. Uh, but I will also point out that on my DVD copy of this film, there is another film included, uh, also a Danish film, and it's called uh, Verdens Undergang, or oh. in English, The End of the World. And it was actually made two years before uh, a trip to Mars. Hmm. And it is a apocalyptic slash post-apocalyptic tale and usually those kinds of tales are considered science fiction because they speculate about the future and what will happen to humanity uh, and uh, the end of the world deals with I believe a collision between earth and a comet uh, and the, the consequences consequences of that so depending on how you define science fiction you could say that that was actually the first Danish science fiction film, but if you want to call A Trip to Mars the first proper Danish science fiction film, I'm, I'm not going to argue against that. I'm just saying that mm, there were some examples mm. before this that could also uh, call that. It's one of the very earliest, definitely. Uh, and, I, you know, compared to the other, other Scandinavian countries, uh, we didn't really get any science fiction t films until later. Um, I mean, I did look up the very, tr or try to look up what the very first Swedish science fiction film is because, you know, Ebba and I are from Sweden. Uh, and I couldn't really find a definite answer to that, but it appears to be a fan film from the mid 50s, um, which was called, oh, in English, I think it was called like. The Ghost of the Black Knight or something. Uh, it, it's really like, it's not even low budget, it's like zero budget and it's half an hour long and it's it's really ridiculous but <laughs> kind of cute also. <laughs> um, so and you know we our, our very first like proper bigger budget sci-fi film uh, we didn't get into even later than that so um, the Danes were definitely a little bit ahead of us in this regard yeah and just to sort of get back to the themes and um and such again because mm. i'm looking here at my notes and i just wanted to like hear your wacky analysis or <laughs> theories <laughs> about the reason why uh, the aliens or like the martians had uh, the ankh symbol on right. the ropes uh, and if you listener don't know what an ankh is, it's or I I I don't even know the pronunciations of it really, but uh, it's I a, think it's like that. Yeah, ankh or like uh, it, it's a very like a very old Egyptian symbol that's been around. It was very popular back in ancient Egypt, and it's sort of speculated speculated to represent like life or things relating to that sort of thing. So, and that's what. The, a lot of the elder men people on Mars were wearing <laughs> on their robes. Um, and they had them on like the bottom top of their skirts, sort of. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I'm thinking it's ancient aliens, of course, because they've been <laughs> watching Earth for thousands of years. So naturally, <laughs> they built the pyramids, right? Right? <laughs> right? Ancient aliens confirmed by this 1918 silent movie from Denmark, right? <laughs> Earliest evidence. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Uh, I do like that theory. It's it's yeah. It's fun. It's a really fun theory. Um, I so don't what's your weapon theory that behind uh, this? Would you? I, I don't know or? if I if I can beat that. To be honest, um, the serious answer is that I don't really think that the filmmakers thought about how this symbol that we have on Earth, how that might also exist on Mars. I just think that they took the symbol because it was a cool symbol and it represented life. You know, the the, the people of Mars, they very, very much worship the nature and in extension, I assume also uh, life itself. Yeah. So I think that's just what the, the, the filmmakers thought about that. But yeah, I do yeah. like how you can read things into it <laughs> if you really yeah, because want to analyze it. I was thinking like maybe... <laughs> Maybe they they wanted to make some sort of connection to Egypt, um, but I was I was thinking that like when was Tutankhamun found? Because Egypt was of course very popular in the beginning of the twentieth mm-hmm. um, century, and after Tutankhamun there was like the craze, like the craze really began yeah. with clothing and jewelry and everything just being like. Egyptian in style or ancient Egypt in style mm. but it's like ni- 1922 so but I still think mm. that it was still very popular of course the uh, mm. Egyptian mm. Um, gra- grave mania <laughs> I I'm, I'm sure it's called something I'm just like it's like you can be in I have no idea what the English word is like anglophile you know like a person who's really like ah. into English things Anglophilia. I have no idea. This is like going down the drains. I'm so sorry, listener. But you, you're saying you can be like an Egypto. Yeah, exactly. Egypto file. Yeah, Egypto And I'm sure you could be that in 1918 already. So maybe they <laughs> sort of like we're doing something with that. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of expecting it to be a bit more like Christian in style. When they mm-hmm. were starting to go on with their life and um, not leading a sinful life. And of course, those values are very Christian and it's made in a Christian country. But I, I was kind of expecting it to be almost like, oh, and thou must uh, worship the God because the God is life or something. But they weren't really mm-hmm. doing that. So that was also a nice they do, surprise. Yeah. yeah, well... They to, do yeah. mention God uh, and heaven and hell, so I assume that the Martians are Christians of some kind. But the movie doesn't get very preachy about it, which I think is nice. It's just sort of it's mentioned, and you you can sort of read things into yeah. that about the motivations and the the culture of the Martians. But the movie could have been so much more preachy. Yeah, and, it could have been more narrow-minded mm. also when it comes to that. Uh, so it's it's pleasant to see that it's not. And I I appreciated the the level of Christianity that we got in it. Yeah, it's a, it's like just just enough. 
just yeah, just yeah, enough. exactly. It's just, just enough, just a little bit. <laughs> but it's uh, like just sort of getting a little bit more into that and what how how it could have been more biased. Yeah, more biased or like more things that we don't really appreciate about olden times today <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's um i think there's still like a few or at least one person that's from the east where in east yes. you ask listener well we don't really know he's just from the east no <laughs> but he's actually one of the most uh capable well not capable but uh, the most loyal person and yes he's like yes. wait why, why are you drinking on the ship and doing this whole mutiny mm-hmm. thing and uh mm-hmm. david dane is all like well shut up you you stupid person we want to drink and <laughs> and riot and rrr. Uh, and he goes to the captain very calmly says like well you need to watch out because they're doing something that i don't agree with <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. nice it could have been like could have been mm, worse mm. Or, or bad. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, but I they they like you said in the film they just describe him as being from the east, so that's sort of a vague description. Yeah. Uh, in my head, I just pictured pictured him as Russian. Uh, I don't know exactly why. Um, yeah, maybe but that's that's the way it was in my head. I think maybe he's supposed to be Asia, more like more southern Asia, uh, but in my head he was Russian and. Considering that World War One is going on at this point, I think he has a surprisingly positive uh, portrayal in this mm-hmm. film. So what are your opinions on the special effects? The special effects? Um, I think they're nice, you know, good enough. We get some, some uh, shots with uh, the ship flying, you know, Excelsior flying over Earth and they are sort of waving to bye-bye to Earth and I thought that looked pretty nice. Uh, and then we see the Martians have this machine of some kind where they sort of look back in time and, and, and they show the Earthlings of, you know, this is how we were before mm. and how, you know, we have overcome being these savages. W- people who make war. Yes, mm. savages, <laughs> exactly. Um, which, it, that that was just sort of a super imposing two pictures on top of each other. Very simple special effects, but it, it looked good. Yeah. Um, but I think the the thing that I like the most, and this is not necessarily a special effect, but it is to do with... The look of the... the, or the yeah, yeah, the look of the film and the scenery. And I think what I liked the most was the interior of the spaceship. Yes. Because it was, it was very tight spaces and narrow corridors and it, it brought to mind something like a submarine uh at least, at least to me mm-hmm. in my head uh and it felt very like uh claustrophobic and it was it looked good it looked really good i thought yeah i agree um i think it they could have gone in the other direction where they have like so sort of weird looking living room that would have been quite out of place and you're just thinking about mm-hmm. wait how could this be working when you we're just flying a normal airplane two years ago. So I think it's it stayed very close to the one airplane that's being shot, that, that's in one shot in the movie. Uh, so it just looks like an inflated airplane with this sort of like submarine, like you say, body and mm. uh, or, or a train cart you could compare it to as well, mm. I think. Mm. Mm. And there's one shot in the... Um, in the Excelsior, which is which uh, is the name of the ship, 
uh, written in, in massive black uh, letters on the side of it. It's yeah, glorious. <laughs> on the side. Yeah. But anyway, so <laughs> there's one scene in the, in the ship and it's when they're sitting down to have their first meal. And their table is so tiny and they're just crammed inside this tiny ship at this tiny table. And it looks, I wouldn't say realistic is the, is the right word, but it looks very appropriate for how yes, the way the ship yes. look and, and everything. I actually, it's just, oh, I just really like that mm, one. Mm. And I actually believe, and I'm, I might be misremembering this, but that's the dinner scene that you're talking mm. about. I think they actually had that in like between their bunks you know their, their beds yeah, i think so too like yeah the bed yeah the beds were on their sides and then they had crammed this little small table in between there so you know very uh, you know exploiting the small yeah. spaces that they have yeah definitely <laughs> Which was, yeah nice <laughs> yeah and they really made use of the rooms too i think so yeah mm-hmm. a neat little ship but then definitely i also just talking more in general of how the movie looked and everything I really appreciated the amount of extras that they had. Extras in clothing and not just being slapped on with whatever that's lying around. Like everyone had the same clothing and there were a ton of them, like a ton of extras. And I was like, what? When they come out of the ship and it's just like Martians everywhere. (laughs) And I think that's, yeah, it, it does bring a certain quality to, to it. Instead of like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the usual two Martian in wacky costumes <laughs> standing mm-hmm. there greeting humans. <laughs> like, welcome to the densely populated planet of Mars. But there's mm-hmm. only two of you. The densely populated planet of Mars. <laughs> Speak no ill, human. Like, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, it brought to mind, uh, for me anyway, uh, parts of uh, Metropolis, mm-hmm. uh, because there are a few scenes in Metropolis where there's like uh, just yeah. a huge amount of extras running through the streets. Uh, and it brought to mind that, you know, it's sort of similar thing where you just have so many extra extras on screen, just really doing nothing other just than being there around. and sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just showing us, that, you, you know, there's a lot of people on Mars. Yeah. And it works. I so, mean, it does look like mm-hmm. there is a lot of people on Mars. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it uh, accomplished, <laughs> accomplished uh, just what it set out to do, I think. Mm-hmm. But then I would have liked to, if I need to complain or whatever about something, I would have liked to seen to have seen maybe a few more smaller buildings around the massive sort of pyramid uh, Mm-hmm. building yeah. they had because that did look like it was just put in a field like this massive yes. thing just put yes. in a field and nothing was growing on it or anything so it just looked like it had been built the day before yeah it, yeah. it could have been way better if there had just been like a few smaller buildings or like uh, you know like matte paintings or whatever you call them or or maybe some wear and tear to the building itself. Maybe some plants mm, or just, just mm. something to make it look a little less like it's just this plywood thing in the middle of a Danish field. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> because there's nothing about this Mars that looks like anything but Denmark to me. With the birch <laughs> trees and everything. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. And that's... We did see a lot of people on Mars, but not necessarily a lot of buildings on Mars. Uh, but I think at the same time, I kind of appreciated not the lack of buildings, but the fact that so much of the film was actually recorded yes. outside in, in nature language. and not 
Yeah, yes. not in a studio. <laughs> uh, because I think a lot of other films, especially if you don't have a lot of budget, would solve that by just like painting a background of, oh, here you see a lot of buildings, but we're actually just standing in front of a picture. Mm. Uh, and that can look good, but I actually kind of like like the fact that so much of this film was actually recorded outside in, in yeah. nature and some pretty pretty beautiful uh, pieces of nature also. Yeah, because it can be kind of jarring when maybe in one scene you have the you have the humans or whatever going around mm. in normal earth environments and it looks like like a real place to us and then they go to a very plasticky foam <laughs> uh, <laughs> set where it just looks like Oh, it doesn't look good. And you can really tell that it's nothing on that thing is real except mm-hmm. for that one plant in a in a pot that they put back, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and like when they do they do like fake rocks oh. and the lo- the rocks look like they're really light, but here you yeah. know that you know this cave they're mm-hmm. in it's an actual cave yeah. and it's just really really nice. Uh, <laughs> this this actually brings to mind a comedy sci-fi film i saw a couple of years ago uh it's a modern film but it sort of makes fun of older sci-fi films and it was called uh this papier mache rock looks really heavy or something of that (laughs) nature and and it was really funny yeah it it made fun of just those kinds of things yeah i i think because if you look look through like the um original star trek uh, series, yes. then you have you have a kind of good a good idea of how different you can sort of look at a setting if it's shot in a sort of futuristic-ish place on Earth that just looks cool mm-hmm. and that's why they could use that, and compare that to a set where they have like poured sand or whatever and then put some <laughs> of those papier mâché rocks and a weird column and a guy in a cape and they're like mm-hmm. planet. <laughs> <laughs> so the differences are massive like even yes. in like how they're able to sort of shoot like how the camera can work in that sort of space as well mm-hmm. so yeah yeah that's definitely something that this movie has going for it i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i agree and i also think because i mean i've never tried movie making um other than doing like vlogs on youtube mm. but I think the challenge with filming outside, especially in the silent era, is that you're very... You can't really control the light. Like, yeah. you're very dependent on the sun and the sun's position in the sky, basically. Um, but I think that the the movie succeeds with still looking very good, still, uh, you know, being very clear in what's going on on, this, on the screen. It's not too dark at some t- times so so it succeeds very well with that uh, and i also think that the scenes that are not outside that are on sets like in the spaceship i think the light there is really good um uh, like there's one scene where um avanti is sort of uh, passing uh, i don't know how to describe it really but he you know it, it's when they're talking about the mutiny and he has his crew members standing on on each side of him mm. and he's sort of walking through them and just the way the lights played on his face and also how the light sort of reflected on his uh spacesuit well it's not really a spacesuit it's uh, more, more of an aviator suit i suppose but it, it it looks kind of like a leather 
and yeah. the, the way it sort of reflected the light it was really nice you know i, li- I like that shot re- a lot yeah there's a few beautiful shots in this movie i think agreed mm-hmm. what's not beautiful in my opinion though is the music oh, <laughs> oh boy um person going crazy on the piano is not my favorite kind of music <laughs> uh, and uh, this is certainly that type where someone is just like i don't know i don't even know how to sort of convey how it sounds but it's it's it really is a very silent movie <laughs> type of yes, a piano yes. person sitting there making 80 minutes <laughs> happen yeah. somehow so and i yeah. think it, it, yeah I have seen examples, not for this film specifically, but for other silent films where modern music groups have tried to make another style of music to it, like like more ex- experimental, I suppose. Uh, and it's it's a bit hit and miss. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I think the the standard piano music for silent films is like it's a bit boring, but. Also, it's not very annoying. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, it's yeah. just background music. It's like elevator music, yeah. you know? So, what do you say we move on to our usual kind of more silly corner of, of our episodes? Sure, go ahead. You're in a time machine and you can bring bring any actor from any era to replace one actor in this movie who would you bring oh dear to be honest i'm not sure i want to switch out any of the actors in this i think they do a pretty good job Mm. um and they are i mean this this concept for this question is sort of fictional to begin with but i think if you brought a modern actor into this film you know, the way he or she would be acting would be very different because the way you act in a silent film is it's a very special kind of acting mm. and I kind of think you have to be just trained for that to actually succeed in it. And I think, that actually, now I kind of go back to discussing the <laughs> film here, but I actually think that the actors do a really good job because the crew members that Avanti has you know, the way they act are very separate from each other, you know, like David Dane acts in a very different way from this other guy, you know, the the, the Eastern guy, uh, and they have, you can really tell that they have different personalities just by looking at how they act, so I don't know, I think I like the film as it is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and just like you say, I think it would have to be someone from the silent era, and mm. yeah, I think th- these actors are yeah, they're very capable. Maybe I thought that um, Maria was a bit too dramatic posy for my taste. <laughs> um, but um, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on then to our next segment, which is Bang Bond Blast. And this is our version of Fuck, Mary Kill. Uh, and our uh, alternatives this time is Maria, Dr. Croft and Avanti. What are your choices here, Eva? Hmm. Well, for Bang, I think I'm going to go with uh, Avanti. Mm. Uh, He's a cool adventure dude. And uh, like the rest of the team going to Mars, he has kind of a cool coat going on. So 
Why not? I have to pick someone. <laughs> uh, for Bond, I'm gonna go with Dr. Croft. Really? Yeah, because yeah. like he was the first person to say, I want to get home to my girlfriend. Can we please send some, some sort mm -hmm. of message to her? I want to go home and be mm -hmm. with her. So I think that uh, he has his heart and mind in the right place. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that, of course, means that Maria is going to be blasted. And that is a shame because she will bring peace and harmony and uh, life <laughs> to Earth. But you know what? Um, yeah, I'm just that kind of person. There's, <laughs> there's some irony in there, I think, that you're yes. blasting Maria. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that, well, that was my plan the entire time. <laughs> no, it was not. So anyways, what's your pick, Linnea? Um, I think I'm going to go not almost the completely other way around okay, um, interesting. I'm gonna blast Dr. Croft hmm. because I just didn't think he was very interesting um, nothing wrong with him just bland Fair to enough. me um, and then I think I'm gonna bang Maria for the very shallow reason that I think she's very pretty and her name is Maria uh, the... which is <laughs> yes, obviously <laughs> we discussed this in one of the favorite episodes Robot Maria is your yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so Maria banging Robert Maria. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, and then I'm going to bond Avanti because he has a spaceship and I want him to take me on that spaceship. <gasps> you could live on the spaceship. It has yes. a kitchen and everything. And you can yes. look out into space and go on any planet you want to go to. Yes. God damn it, sounds that is awesome. a good choice. Well, <laughs> I stand by my choice to blast Mars Jesus <laughs> or Mars Maria. <laughs> Yeah, so why don't you argue why a trip to Mars slash skyship slash Himmelskibet should win a Gordon? And this is, of course, our version of Oscars. So, Yes, um, usually uh, this is a very sort of comedic segment and I suspect that... Uh, you're going to argue why it's going to win in a very hilarious category. <laughs> but I'm actually going to go the serious route mm. and say that I think they should win a Gordon for being probably the earliest important Scandinavian science fiction film. Because mm. I do really appreciate it for that, for that reason. Um, I think it should never be forgotten because it is a part of our movie history. Not... I mean, we are Swedish and this is Danish, but still, you know, Scandinavia mm. as a whole, this is a very important piece of our film history. Yeah, well, that's that's a very good reason for it to win and win a Gordon. So I think a tiny applause for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, of course, as always, it does win the category for most important <laughs> Scandinavian science fiction movie in the early <laughs> 20th century. <laughs> so good for you, Himmelskibet. Uh, so my reasoning why this movie should win a Gordon is for the earliest portrayal of ancient aliens. <laughs> Simple, short and sweet. That's why it should win. <laughs> yes, yes. Good yes. reason. So that's the Gordons. Now I want to know if you have any sort of uh, movie you want to recommend as a double feature along with this uh, Himmelskibet that we've talked about. Well, 
Well, I um I actually have two films. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, both are silent films, mm. so you know they're, they're similar in style uh, in that regard, but there are different uh, in other aspects. And uh, one of them is a Russian film from 1924. Uh, it's called Ailita, Queen of Mars, and as the name mm. suggests, it also deals with a travel to Mars. Um, maybe not necessarily end in the quite same way as this one, but it has some really interesting aesthetics and the costumes of the Martians are very sort of avant-garde, um, very nice designs, I think. So, just, you know, just watch the film for that, basically. Um, <laughs> so if you want a, a Martian-themed double feature, those two go well together. Um, but then I also want to uh, highlight... Uh, one uh, a German film from 1929 made by Fritz Lang, who also did Metropolis, uh, and this is called Woman in the Moon, hmm. or in German Frau im Mond, and I probably butchered that translation or uh, pronunciation, and I apologize for that, but that is what it's called. Uh, and as the name suggests, this this with the travel to the moon, and especially uh, it it's centered on. Uh, a woman, a female crew member and her experiences on the moon. So very nice film. Mm. Um, not quite as visually interesting, perhaps, as A Trip to Mars and Aelita, but definitely worth a watch, I think. Cool. Two nice suggestions there. Uh, since you're, uh, you stand for the more serious side of uh, the discussion today, <laughs> <laughs> or the, at least for this silly corner segment, uh, I'm going to go with a really weird double feature. And the reason for like, why I picked this one and just thought I'd throw it in here is because I was thinking about the movie when I watched, watched um, Himmels give it, and that is Stargate. Mm. It's really weird, but it, they kind of made me. It kind of made me think about Stargate when I watched it. Yeah, I can I can totally see the uh, the connection. Yeah, there. like with the with the whole Ankh and the sort of pyramid thing and humans going, like doing a massive scientific leap to uh, disc- mm-hmm. to um, meet with um, what with Martians or like aliens or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're kind of have some similarities in a really weird sort of way so i can totally see it yeah why not good suggestion strange double feature and really good one from you so or a triple feature even from you so yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i cheated a little bit but uh let's wrap things up with our last question and that is should this be remade in 2019 well, um, as you kind of hinted at before, uh, where you compared it to Avatar, the core concept of this uh, movie is kind of a quote-unquote timeless science fiction uh, premise. Uh, and I honestly don't think that we need... I'm not saying that we don't need this kind of story, I'm just saying that we don't need this version of that premise that is in this film. I think this this works very well for ni- 1918, but in in 2019 or 2020, it would. Mm, so it's superflu- need, need... superfluous, or however. That's yes. Pronounced. Yes. Yeah. I suppose that's yeah. what I'm saying. Thank you. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you because <laughs> there's a bunch of things in here, like people going crazy on a spaceship and considering mutiny. We've seen that done a lot of times. 
I mean, mm. uh, I just recently I started watching a Netflix show. I can't remember what the name was. Firefly Ship. Not like the Firefly, but like something, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight, flight flyer, fight flyers. I don't know. Uh, and it's the same thing, like people going nuts on a ship and turning mm-hmm. on each other. So mm-hmm. we've seen this done a lot of times, and also with the uh, like two groups of people meeting each other, like we talked before. It's kind of universal theme that's been done a lot of times. So um, yeah, yeah, and I I kind of feel that the the premise or the theme has has grown since this film was made mm-hmm, you know in true. the in the in the science fiction genre this this is a tried concept yeah. you know and it, for, for there's a reason why we keep telling it but i think today the science fiction genre has just evolved so much that you can't you can't really tell this kind of a story there has to be something more to it yeah, it would just be absolutely superfluous <laughs> to say that word again. Yes. <laughs> Incorrectly, probably. Uh, yeah, just go watch Avatar. I mean, <laughs> it's the OO's equivalent, like we uh, concluded earlier. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it should not be remade. But um, you should go watch it on YouTube instead. Uh, so, listener, have you seen A Trip to Mars? A.K.A. the Skyship, A.K.A. Himmelskibets. Uh, we want to know what you think, so go to our Facebook page at uh, Starcrashed Podcast, where you can share your thoughts and also give us recommendations for future episodes. And we're going to continue our theme month of Mars in March in two weeks as we sit down and talk about Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.